I just pray that in the hearing of these promises of the Lord, that um, something might penetrate your heart to encourage and strengthen you. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Uh, Good morning, St. Clair. Uh, My name's Matt Pamplin. I'm one of the staff here at St. Clair. And welcome, if you're new this morning. Um, I spoke to a few of you. It's your first time here with us. So we just want to give a warm uh, welcome to you in this community. Uh, We just moved into Ryerson back in the summer. So uh, this is kind of a newer space for us. So if you are new, uh, welcome to the new season in our journey. If you were here for the first time, back in the fall, we did a teaching series and we asked the question, what does it mean to follow the way of Jesus in Hamilton in 2019? And so we're trying to be creative and clever and we're asking, what does it mean to follow Jesus in Hamilton in 2020? Oh, see what we did there? And so as we looked at the uh, last year in 2019, we actually looked at the Old Testament and we said, in order to understand how to live the way of Jesus, we need to remember our story and look how the people of God have done that historically. And so we looked to the whole of the Old Testament and culminated with the coming of Jesus at Advent. And so as we look into the new year, we wanted to look at the New Testament and the Sermon on the Mount seemed to be the place we needed to land. Uh, I've reread the Sermon on the Mount daily in preparation for this, and I want to say this morning, I don't know if I'm a Christian, having reread the Sermon on the Mount over and over. The words of Jesus here are so deeply profound and paradigm-shifting. As Gloria said, it's my prayer that as we work our way through this over the next few weeks, we come with a posture of learning and fresh eyes to see. Sometimes we come to church and these words may seem so familiar, but as I've reread them, they're deeply troubling in the best possible way. So I'm actually going to pray if that's okay, because I hope this morning we come with open hands and eyes to see the revolutionary words of Jesus of Nazareth. Let's pray. Jesus, we approach this text and we pray you would give us fresh eyes. It's no coincidence that one of the miracles you did over and over was healing people's eyesight. That wasn't just physical, it seems to be spiritual. 
And so we pray the words this morning, as the writer of the Hebrews would say, would be living and active for us. Jesus, we don't want to come and hear nice information. We want to come and be transformed by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. The Sermon on the Mount is one of the most famous pieces of Jesus' teaching. And I would say it like this. If someone said to me, what is the Sermon on the Mount? I would say it's Jesus' manifesto for life in the kingdom of God. And the opening of the Sermon on the Mount is the Beatitudes, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. That comes from the Latin word, and the Beatitudes are really the gateway into the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. What Jesus does in the Beatitudes, he says, here's who is blessed, and in light of the blessing of God, here's now how you should live. Which should be encouraging, because Jesus isn't teaching moralism. Like, here's, be a good person and then do this. Jesus is saying, the grace of God has come upon you, and in light of that, here's how you should live in the kingdom. But Jesus' words at the start are really strange, if you look at them. If you think of all the speeches in history that we know, you know, things like, I have a dream Do not ask what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. They may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. (laughs) My accent was as bad as Mel Gibson's in the movie. But we think of all those speeches that seem to be strong and bold, and this is what it is. And then Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's an interesting way to start a message. G.K. Chesterton says this, on first reading the Sermon on the Mount, you feel that it turns everything upside down. But the second time you read it, you discover it turns everything right side up. The first time you read it, you feel that it's impossible. The second time you read it, you feel nothing else is possible. To understand the Sermon on the Mount, we have to understand the context. And when we read the Gospels, what we realize is Matthew chapter 5 comes after Matthew chapter 4. Take that home with you this morning. It's very profound. But actually, it's important because we have to read it together. And actually, Matthew 5 goes with Matthew 4, as you'll see. So this is what Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 uh, to 25 says. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every sickness, every disease and sickness among them. News about him spread throughout Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, though, uh, Yeah, sorry, diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So that's the context that there's this crowd of people, the most broken, hurting, destitute and ostracize the outcast, those are the people following Jesus. And Jesus proclaims to them good news. So the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount are really unpacking the gospel. And the gospel is the good news of God. 
This is what Jesus says the gospel is, and this is found in Mark. This is his one-line definition. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. We have to understand the gospel to understand what's going on next. And in some ways, maybe I grew up misunderstanding the gospel. So I heard the gospel as justification by faith through grace, not by works. And I would say that is part of the gospel, which for those non-theologians, because that's a lot of fancy words, what that means is uh, Jesus has died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, so I get to spend eternity with him when I die. Now that, again, is part of the gospel. The The cross is deeply important. But I would say the gospel is much more robust than that. It's Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. In fact, Matthew, right at the start, if you read in your Bible, it will say at the start of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew takes 28 chapters to unpack what that is. Because Matthew is saying all of the life and what happened in Jesus' life, the way he baptized people, the way he healed people, the way he talked about the kingdom, and then how he died and rose again is the gospel. And so it's important for us to understand that as we think about the Beatitudes. And then also Jesus' proclamation of the gospel is the time has come, the kingdom has come near. I would love to do a whole extra teaching on the kingdom of God, and I would encourage you to look into that, because Jesus is saying, God, through me, is now here and present in the world. We, kingdom's really hard for us to understand in many ways, but Daryl Johnson says it like this. The kingdom of God is the long-awaited, recreating reign of God that is now invading the world. Here in the paraphrase is what's happening in the Beatitudes. The kingdom of God is coming upon the least likely people. And that should be good news for all of us this morning. See, this is the context. Jesus looks on the crowd, the hurting, the broken, the marginalized, the forgotten about, and he preaches this message. Mark Sayers, an Australian pastor, says you cannot take the kingdom without the king. So what we look at in this message is Jesus saying, he went up on the mountainside, he gathered his disciples, and he spoke to them. Sometimes the Beatitudes have been pulled out of its context to make it kind of some like social justice statement, but we can't divorce the context from the person who spoke the words. And so the Beatitudes come with the person of Jesus. And Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus mentions eight blessings here, and they're all interconnected. But when you first hear these blessings, if you're really listening, you might think they're beautifully poetic, they're lovely, but they don't seem to make a lot of sense. And I think the 
Beatitudes are actually some of the most misunderstood words of Jesus. The confusion here comes around the word blessing. And what we think of blessing throughout the scripture is often talked about as the divine favor of God. But that isn't the word that Jesus uses here. Jesus uses a Greek word called makarios, which actually isn't necessarily even related to God. And the word makarios is almost like a greeting. The word is really hard to translate. Our Bibles say blessing. Uh, Some Bibles say happy are those. Some would say fortunate. One scholar that I really like almost says Jesus is saying congratulations. That's what Jesus is doing here. So it'd be the equivalent to someone uh, saying they're engaged, they've had a new baby, they've got a new job, and we would say makarios to them. If you're really listening, you'll say, that seems weird though, because how is it congratulations when you look at the list? Congratulations because you're poor in spirit. Congratulations because you mourn. And I think that is where some of the misunderstanding has come. See, the Beatitudes, when I grew up, were often taught as virtues, as good things, or even commands that we're meant to do. But if you read them, that doesn't make any sense. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. The word poor there, there's a couple of words, and we'll look at that in a moment, but that literally means the destitute. Blessed are the destitute, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And sometimes the good things, when we translate them, have been seen as blessed are the poor in spirit because they're now more dependent on God. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for more of God. But that's a misunderstanding. See, mourning, if you are here and you are mourning this morning, you've had a time of deep grief, that doesn't feel like a blessing. If you feel like you are destitute this morning, that you have nowhere else to go, that doesn't feel like a good thing. When Jesus is talking about meekness, sometimes people say that's power under control. Jesus is saying here, the meek are those with no power at all. And this is a people under the Roman occupation. So when he looks out on the crowd, Jesus sees this group of people. Almost we can see them as commands as well, that we need to be poor, we need to be sad, we need to be persecuted, and I don't think they're commands either. Dallas Willard says this, no one is actually being told they're better off for being poor, for mourning, for being persecuted, and so on, or that the conditions are recommended ways to well-being before God or man, nor are the Beatitudes indications on who will be on top after the revolution. They are explanations and illustrations drawn from the immediate setting of the present availability of the kingdom through relationship to Jesus. They single out cases that provide proof that in the rule of God from the heavens is truly available in life circumstances that are beyond human hope. It's not on the screen, but he goes on to say, the Beatitudes cannot be good news if they're understood as how-tos for achieving blessedness. That would be a new type of legalism. And so Jesus starts out, and I don't have time to go into all of them this morning, but look at the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom 
of heaven. Jesus is saying, blessed or makarios, congratulations to those who feel destitute. Not because of their condition, but the kingdom of God is available to them. I don't know if you've ever met someone who feels like they are destitute. I remember going to visit a family in Africa who were in one stone building that was uh, probably six by six, and there was about 10 family members who were sleeping in there, and they had nothing in this stone building. That doesn't feel like a great condition to be that destitute. And yet Jesus says, congratulations, because even you, the kingdom of God, is available. Dallas Willard translates this verse like this. Blessed are the spiritual zeros, the spiritually bankrupt, deprived and deficient, the spiritual beggars, because the kingdom is available. If you look around this morning and you feel like everyone else is following Jesus really well and they're doing great and I'm deeply struggling and I'm completely in a mess, the words of Jesus for you this morning are, he is closer than you think. Not because of your condition, but the kingdom and the good news is available. Jesus is saying the kingdom is coming on the least likely people. And this is what Jesus is saying. Who is really blessed? When we think about blessing, who is actually blessed? Jesus is turning the kingdom upside down. And this we have to grapple with in our North American context, because if we're deeply honest with ourselves and we look at the world around us, this is so far from who we think is blessed. I actually wrote some Beatitudes for our North American world, and this is what I think our Beatitudes would be if someone got up this morning and started preaching from our culture. Blessed are the strong, for they will conquer. Blessed are the self-made, for they will be successful. Blessed are the confident, because they will get ahead. Blessed are the wealthy, for they worked hard to get there. Blessed are the attractive, for theirs is the kingdom of Instagram. Blessed are the self-righteous, for they will inherit Twitter. Blessed are those with power, for they will thirst for more. Blessed are the cool, for their image is their prize. And if we're really honest, that is what our world tells us. And then Jesus of Nazareth comes along and says, there's a different kingdom that is here and a different kingdom that is now at work in the world. See, we live in North America, as Richard Raw would say, with the winner's script. If you just follow Jesus, if you just are hardworking, if you are a good person, then your path to life is upward mobility. The church has adopted this as well. If we just do all these things, um, one plus two equals three in the kingdom, and if we just do things well, we'll have this victorious Christian living. And then we just read that all the disciples, bar one of them, were martyred for following Jesus. It says Paul was shipwrecked, beaten, stoned, put in prison, and persecuted. That doesn't sound like victorious Christian living to me. See, the Beatitudes are that people are blessed not because of their condition, but because of the kingdom. And Jesus is saying the blessing is here for the unblessable. 
One theologian that I was reading says it would be like this. The blessing is for the dropouts and the burned out, the broke and the broken, the addicted and the divorced, the sexually broken, the incurably ill, the unemployed and overemployed, the woman who's pregnant too many times with too many different fathers, the man who has slept with lots of different women and just left them, the swindled, the shoved aside, those who've been replaced, the parents with children living on the street, the lonely, the incompetent, the chronically anxious, those who feel forgotten about, the kingdom is available. I do want to say this morning, as we kind of close out the message, if you're doing well and you feel like, oh, I can't fully relate to that list, that is totally okay and good. Our our posture should not be to feel bad that we're not feeling that way, but in that place we should be living out of a deep sense of gratitude and joy that we have that. But the message this morning is, if you feel broken and hurt and oppressed, Jesus is here for you. I think the only way to truly understand this is through the lens of the kingdom. Jesus says, the time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand. And what that means is, the kingdom is now, and as theologians would say, it's also not yet. What now means is we see around the world Jesus working and things being transformed. But we also recognize we still live in brokenness. And one day Jesus will make all things new and well. And we even see that in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But the next six, Jesus says, blessed are those, for they will be. Blessed are those, for they will see. So what Jesus is saying here is, for some of us, we see the kingdom now. But for some, we won't see it until he makes all things new. We're going to enter to the table in a moment, but I'm just going to pause. Why don't we pray before we come to the table? I don't know how you feel this morning, but I'm going to pray for those who feel like this message is for me. If I look at that list, I feel like I am one of those people that Jesus mentioned, and I don't feel like it is a blessing. And yet, congratulations, the kingdom is at hand. You are not forgotten about. Jesus is with you in the midst of this. So if you feel like that this morning, would you just open yourself up uh, to receive the words of Jesus and to receive the kingdom as I pray? Jesus, if I'm completely and utterly honest, I don't fully understand everything that's going on here. But we trust that you not only proclaimed good news, but you embodied good news in your life and death and resurrection. And Jesus, for those who feel like they can totally relate to being one of the crowd, those who uh, are hurting maybe physically or emotionally, who just come hanging on by a thread saying, I just want to give up. Jesus, would your words come afresh to say you and your kingdom and your spirit is for those people this morning. 
Jesus, help us to recognize where our value system is unlike the way of the kingdom. Jesus, for some of us, we repent of thinking that the kingdom is for those who have everything together, who think their life is figured out. Jesus, would you give us a fresh imagination and would you renew our mind through the next few weeks and this sermon? In Jesus' name, amen. We close each week at St. Clair with a benediction. Uh, just before we do that, um, if uh, you're new this morning, uh, immediately after the service, there's actually coffee uh, downstairs, and we'd love for you to join us for that. Ryerson Church comes in to have their service after we're done on a Sunday, and so uh, we just want to honor them by being out of the space, but at the same time, we would love to get to know you, and if you are a St. Clairite, because that's... I think our name, I don't know, uh, then please go and talk to someone who maybe you don't even know. I've said this so many times, it's a bit of a mantra, but if you don't know them, they're actually new to you. So please make someone feel welcome this morning. Uh, the benediction, I'm actually going to read from the Bible, and because Jesus is way more brilliant than I am, I'm going to read his words, because in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, he has his proclamation that he takes from the book of Isaiah that you will find very familiar to what was said this morning if you listen to the words. And so what Jesus is saying to us is, if you know you're a beatitude people, that the kingdom's available, go and proclaim that to everyone else. In your neighborhoods, in the city of Hamilton, go and tell them the kingdom of God is close. And so as you go, St. Clair Community Church, may you know that the spirit of the Lord is on you because he's anointed you to proclaim good news to the poor, he sent you to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Grace and peace to you.